0: How do you prepare for the coming of a king? How would you prepare your home, your family, to receive a king or or someone that's really important? It's kind of hard for us to even wrap our mind around how we would prepare for a king because, as we've already said in this series, it's hard for us to, to to conceive of living under the rule and reign of a king. We don't have that. Clearly, we have presidents. We have really important people that we would be honored for them to come to our home. We even have celebrities that sometimes we treat as royalty. But I think we can all agree that while there's some relation a king is a little bit different. When you prepare for someone important coming to see you, how do you prepare? You want to you want to put your best foot You want to receive them in such a way that they feel honored by the way that you receive them. I think about what Jordan and I did, well, mostly Jordan, in preparation for just our family to come to our house over the Christmas holidays. We cleaned. We washed sheets. I did some touch-up painting. We bought groceries, and that's for family, right? They got to live with the mess even if they don't want to. Now think about if someone really important came. Imagine if coach K came to your house. Imagine if Michael Jordan came to your house. Imagine if someone from NC State, I don't know who's important from NC State. Do they have celebrities? Someone someone, I don't know whoever it would be. Imagine someone important from NC State came to your House. Imagine if Billy Graham was coming to your house. How would you prepare? And then let's take it up a notch. How would we prepare if we knew that Jesus was coming? How would we prepare to receive the King? Well, this morning, we meet an interesting character in the story of Scripture with an interesting message who helps us know how we are to prepare to receive this coming King Jesus. He was sent to help us prepare. And here's what he says. Here's what he says we must do to receive King Jesus. We must repent. There is a cleaning that needs to take place, but it's a different kind of cleaning, an eternal cleaning, a, a spiritual cleansing. But here's what's interesting about this king. And here's what's interesting about the gospel message that we're gonna unfold across the pages of the Gospel of Matthew. This king knows that in your own strength, you can't prepare to receive him on your own. So this king came to clean us up so that we could receive him. This king came to cleanse us so that we could be ready for him, That's the beauty of the gospel, friends, and something that we should always rejoice and place our hope in. Jesus meets us in the midst of our mess to fully cleanse what we could never make clean. Jesus prepares us to receive him, and this is good news. And it's the main point of our text today, that King Jesus prepares his true people to receive him. So let's hear from this messenger this morning and be moved by the message. And let's ask God to speak through his word as he promises he would do. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and the region around the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, this is an interesting passage, an important one in the Gospel of Matthew. There's a lot of things happening, a lot of people that are being introduced. But remember, the major point of this passage is to prepare us for Jesus, both in Matthew's Gospel and our lives. So let's consider. Let's unpack how this particular text and what Matthew is doing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is preparing us for King Jesus. Firstly, we see a surprising messenger. One of the ways that we're being prepared for Jesus is the sending of a surprising messenger. And and Matthew is continuing this theme of promise and fulfillment that we'll, we'll see continuously through his gospel. Matthew takes us back all the way to the prophet Isaiah once again, chapter 40, verse 3. And in this part of Isaiah, God sends a message to his people who are in exile in the hopes of comforting them. He tells them through the prophet that there's coming a world-transforming display of his glory. Out of a barren, desperate situation, a moment of wilderness wandering, God will show himself faithful. He will do something so glorious that it will change the course of human history. And while there's certainly an intended message for God's people right then in that moment in history as they sat in Babylonian captivity, there's also a greater meaning. That promise is attached to the the larger story of the Bible, the story of God saving his people, the story of redemption. A voice will come who will let us know when this display, unparalleled display of God's glory will arrive. A messenger. And Matthew says that messenger, that voice, is John the Baptist. He's the promised forerunner of the Messiah, a prophet given by God to declare that the Savior of God, that the Savior of his people has come, a prophet to prepare the way for his people to receive them. And this guy is really interesting, unexpected, surprising, in fact. He's preaching in the wilderness of Judea. It's a hot Desert-like area where people typically just don't vacation. They don't happen upon you. If you want to go to this place, you got to be intending to go it. You got you got to want to be there. More than that, he dresses really weird. He wears a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt, and he eats weird—locusts, wild honey. Honestly, he kind of seems like a crazy man that I don't think any of us would pay attention to if we're being honest, if we just saw him on the streets, if we ran into him on a street corner. He would be the kind of person that typically we would walk away from. There's nothing about his appearance or his location that is appealing. Nothing remarkable about him. If anything, what we see described of him is off-putting and unremarkable, which makes the response to him even that much more incredible. Because while he may not seem remarkable, maybe even a little crazy, people were drawn to him. They left the city to go into the desert, into the wilderness, to hear what he had to say, because he had a remarkable message. This Surprising messenger had a remarkable message. There was something about what John was saying that drew the people out of the city into the wilderness to hear what he had to say. He was the first prophet, after all, in almost 400 years for the people of God. Jerusalem, verse 5, Jerusalem, all Judea, they were coming out and they were responding to what John said. They were being baptized. And his message had two primary components to it. And we see that in verse two. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Let's consider each concept, because both are central to the gospel message and central to the narrative of Matthew. Firstly, repent. Now, repent, obviously, is an important New Testament concept. What does it mean? Well, repentance is a spirit-given response to the message of God that results in a radical transformation of the one responding. It's godly sorrow over sin that comes from the beholding of the glory of Christ and a spirit-empowered resolve to turn from that sin And toward that which pleases God now the full meaning of this response of repentance in light of the work of Christ will be fleshed out throughout the New Testament but even here John is saying that God's people in order to receive him need to repent they need to to leave their devotion to things that do not honor God and turn back to him and to those things that do honor him now Why do we need to repent? Why does all of humanity need to repent? I want to be very, I want to be crystal clear about this because eternity is on the line. We need to understand the importance of repentance and why all of us, in order to prepare to receive King Jesus, must repent. We need to repent because we are sinful. We need to repent because we have rebelled against a holy and righteous God who created us for his glory. We need to repent because of what sin has cost. We're a broken people, wicked in our hearts according to Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9. We are dirty and we know it. We know it. Like we know there's something inherently wrong. We know there's something broken. We know there's something missing in who we are, at the core of who we are. And it's all because of this rebellion and the separation that is created between us and our creator, God. We've lost fellowship with him. We've lost the source of life, the source of love, the source of joy that we are all seeking. And we repent when we recognize our need for, For God, and also our role in creating the distance, the separation, the break in relationship between us and Him. And baptism here is connected to that response of repentance because it paints a picture of repentance. The baptism represents a a cleansing and a turning to a new life, a a cleaning to once again be able to walk in fellowship with God, to walk in faithfulness for the glory of God. So John says you need to repent because you're not living in a way that honors God. And, And if you want to receive King Jesus, you need to be walking in faithfulness to God. And you need to make this decision because, component number two of his message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. This this work of renewal and cleansing is important because the day of the Lord has come. Now listen, this is good and glorious news for some. For some of us, we should be rejoicing. But for others, the declaration that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the associated day of the Lord, this is a troubling, troubling declaration. For those in right standing before God, This represents a moment of deliverance, a moment to to revel in this promised world-transforming display of God's glory and be welcomed into the kingdom of God, to have everything we've longed for and being restored to this right relationship with God fulfilled and and have everything we've looked for in other places that never were able to, to satisfy their false promise actually fulfilled in God. But for those who are not, for those who are not in a right-standing relationship with God, for those who haven't repented, for those who are still following after the destructive path of this world, this is troubling news to say the least. And the message for anyone who is not prepared in repentance to receive Christ is like that proclaimed to the Pharisees and Sadducees in verses 7 to 10. Let's revisit that for a moment. These Pharisees, these Sadducees, they come to the baptism. They come to hear what John the Baptist has to say. And he says to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? You need to bear fruit that's in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to to take from these stones children of Abraham. Even now, There's an axe that is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, let's take a moment and consider who these people are. Because it's important to know why what John the Baptist says to them is important. We're going to see a lot of them as we study the Gospel of Matthew. Now, the Pharisees were a religious party a lay fellowship among the Jews who delighted, according to one commentary that I read this week, in the idea that they were separate. They were separate from other Jewish people in their devotion to the law. They were very committed, very committed to to behaving in a certain way, to upholding the moral requirements of the law and making sure that everybody around them saw their devotion to the law. And they were popular, very popular among the common Jewish people because of how dedicated, how devout, how committed they were to the law, or at least how committed they looked in following God. They studied the law carefully and they determined to put it all into practice. And in and of itself, this could have been a good thing, but because it was so difficult... Those who stuck with it and felt like it, felt like they were doing a good job in and behaving according to the standard of the law, they began to think that they were better than everyone else. They were closer to God than anyone else. Now the Sadducees were members of the high priestly party, a majority group on the Sanhedrin, which was the, the Jewish religious body or ruling body. And they saw themselves as a direct descendant of Zadok, the great priest. They largely rejected the oral tradition that the Pharisees held to. One of their major characteristics is they didn't believe in a literal resurrection. And you can remember that because they were sad. They were sad, you see, because they did not believe in the resurrection. Just a little fun token for your kids later today. They tended to be aristocratic. They were often wealthy landowners. They were suspicious of movements among lower levels of society. They were removed from the common people largely, and they cooperated with the Romans to maintain political power. Now, what you need to know is that both of these religious leading groups were powerful players. Nobody spoke to them the way that John the Baptist spoke to them, but John wanted them to know, and everyone listening, that even these people were deeply flawed. Even these people were not ready to receive King Jesus. Even these people needed to repent. On the one hand, we have people who have placed their confidence to receive King Jesus in their adherence to the law, in their own religious activity. You see that challenge in verse 9. On the other hand, we have people who have placed their confidence in earthly power and wealth and their perceived status above other men. I need you to hear me this morning. Both of these things are dangerous. Both of these beliefs, both of these, these tendencies among human beings to place their faith and trust in, and places outside of God are dangerous. And John says to them, You guys have a religious appearance, but no true heart for God. You aren't true sons of Abraham. Rather, you're a tree that God will cut down and throw into the fire if you do not repent. Because when the day of the Lord comes, he will bring judgment. Those who are are of God will show it from the inside out, but those who are not will be cut off, and they will be cut down. And the final way that we are prepared to receive King Jesus from this passage is that we are told of a promised Messiah. John is the forerunner, adds another element to his message at the end of our passage, that there is a, a coming one, Who is greater than him who will make a way for true repentance? He says of this person, this Messiah, that he who is coming after is mightier than John, whose sandals, verse 11, he is not worthy to carry. This, this one who is greater will make a way for true repentance, for true renewal and reconciliation with God, for true freedom from sin, for true freedom from the consequences of sin. He will make a way to receive the king. Now, there's a dilemma in the course of Scripture that this message resolves. There's a dilemma that this, this gospel message that even John is, is beginning to communicate in the early pages of Matthew, that it resolves a tension that maybe you feel this morning or felt of course, across the course of your Christian life. We are told to repent of sin. We are told of our need to return to God and live in faithfulness, but because of the hold that sin has upon us, because of our our brokenness in sin before God, we recognize that on our own it's impossible to do this. It's impossible for us to to religious our way back to God. It's It's impossible for us to behave our way back to God. And and we live in a perpetual wilderness knowing what is expected of us but never being able in our own strength to achieve that expectation. It's no coincidence, by the way, that John is preaching in the wilderness because we need to go to the wilderness to recognize that we are always in the wilderness apart from the goodness of God. But John offers a John offers a promise to us that there is a Messiah whose name is Jesus who will offer a very different kind of baptism, a a different permanent kind of cleaning, a cleansing that gives those who repent and believe in him true hope. This Messiah will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will enable genuine repentance, true change. And I hope this morning You are blown away by how remarkable that statement is. Listen, the king of the universe, the most important person in the story of our lives, because our lives are really just a part of his story. The king of the universe desires so much for his people to be with him that he came to make us clean for himself. Isn't that stunning? that God would love us in that way, that he desires so much to walk in fellowship with us that he would come to clean up what we could not clean so that we could be clean enough to receive him. Incredible. Now listen, we are all called to walk in alignment with this cleaning, but it is undoubtedly a work of Christ through the word and the spirit that we could be called clean. Jesus, now we're gonna see this across the whole of the Gospel of Matthew. It's why I'm so excited about walking through it with you over the course of this year. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life in complete obedience to the Father. Jesus delighted to do the will of God. Every commandment Jesus held, every expectation Jesus met, and in so doing, He revealed a righteousness that we could never achieve, but one that he freely gives to us for all of those who call upon his name in faith for salvation so that we would be able to enter his kingdom and dwell with him. This is good news. Christ prepares us to receive him and then invites us to live with him. Everything you've been longing for is found in him. And you could not get to him apart from him, but praise the Lord, he came to fix us so that we could. He came to deliver us so that we could. Here's the question. Have you allowed Jesus to prepare you to receive him by responding in repentance? Have you responded to the work of the Holy Spirit and answered to, to hearing the the word of God proclaimed. Have you have you responded to the gospel by repenting and believing? Have you asked God to cleanse you through the work of Christ, as only He can? That's the only way you will be prepared to receive King Jesus. That's the only way you will be prepared to enter into His kingdom. And you need to wrestle with that because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He has come, and he is coming again. Are you ready? Listen, do not trust in yourself to get ready. Don't trust in your religious activity. Don't trust in your status or your wealth. None of those things are impressive to God. apart from a heart that is truly transformed in repentance because of the work of Christ. Trust in him because he can give you the life that you have been looking for. How can we respond this morning to this message from John the Baptist that has been declared to us today from the word of God? I wanna just walk us through three possible responses. Three responses to this this message of repentance because of the kingdom of heaven being at hand. Firstly, let us receive the work of Christ on our behalf. And that comes through genuine repentance. Verse eight says, repentance that bears fruit. What does that mean? That listen, the transformation, the response to the the gospel of Jesus Christ, the recognition that sin has broken the relationship between us and God and a turning to Jesus, that turn, that response has got to show up in our life. We need to look like we are leaving the things of this world and turning toward the things of God. Genuine repentance bears fruit. Now, we're not saying it bears perfection. Because none of us will be perfect until we get to glory, right? But it should show evidence in our lives. Have you received the work of Christ through repentance and belief? And does that repentance show up in your life through actual faith? Has there been transformation in your life? Because that's what repentance means. It's not just feeling sorry about something. It's not head knowledge. It's it's a response given by the Spirit that grabs a hold of your life and evidences it in godly fruit. And let me just say again, your religious pedigree will not save you. Your power and wealth will not save you. I, I read this passage and I think about the whole book of Matthew. It's stunning to me how righteous the anger is toward the religious elite of Jesus' day. How they, they took things that were meant to, to lead them closer to God and not only distance themselves from God, but also other people who looked up to them to, to guide them toward greater intimacy with God. They elevated themselves and oppressed others. And there's no more contrary thing that we can do if we're trying to look like Jesus than that. So don't trust in yourself. It will only build up pride and lead you and anyone else who's looking at you away from the very God that we're trying to get to. Look to Christ. Only Christ can cleanse us. We need to trust in him. And we want to wrestle with the fact that have we received him? And the best way to do that is to think about that moment when the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of your heart in response to the gospel proclamation from the word, and now you see evidence of the Spirit at work in your life as you become more and more like Christ. Not perfect, but evidence of growing Christ's likeness. Have you received the word in repentance? Secondly, let us rejoice and this work of Christ on our behalf. If we have received, we must rejoice. As we said from the Christmas story, the appropriate response to Christ coming, the appropriate response, the only response, to the fact that King Jesus has come and that he came to make us ready for himself is rejoicing. Friends, can you imagine what it would feel like if today we had no idea about our standing before God? Can you imagine the the millions, billions of people around this world who woke up today and do not know where they stand before a holy and righteous God? Can you imagine how how lost they must feel? Can you imagine how lost we would be if not for the grace of God given to us in Christ? I think about that, that cleaning metaphor, right? I remember at an early age, my parents asking me, Jared, go Go make up your bed. But why would I make it up? I'm just going to get back into it tonight. What's the purpose of all this cleaning when you have a dog and kids running around and it's just going to get dirty again? But do you see the promise of the gospel that what Christ has made clean is clean, and that because of the work of Christ in our our lives, we have the ability to have right standing before God and His righteousness and enter into His kingdom? Let us rejoice in that, friends. That what we could not do, what what would have been perpetually unclean in our own strength has now made permanently clean through the work of Christ. Let us rejoice. And finally, let us recognize that we are still about the work of John the Baptist. Because as I said, Christ has come, but he's coming again. And now we as the church are the voice in the wilderness wondering, declaring, get ready, repent, repent, For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have the same message to declare. There are only two possible outcomes to this life. Only two. Eternal life or eternal condemnation. And the question that we need to ask everyone to wrestle with is have you been cleansed by Jesus? Are you ready to receive him when he returns? And I want you to remember... You don't have to have anything remarkable about you to do this. John the Baptist wore camel hair, a belt, ate bugs, drenched in honey. And he was in a desert. And the message was still so powerful that God drew people to himself through him. You don't have to be remarkable because the message is remarkable. Let's trust and the declaration of the gospel for God to use it to prepare people to receive him. It's his work. We just call to be faithful to proclaim, right? Let's, Let's be about this business wherever you are, day in, day out. As you think about 2022, going back to work, going back to school, let's be a voice. Let's be messengers preparing the way the coming of Christ. And the first thing we're going to do in 2022 to proclaim is to partake of the supper. Do you know the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, that as often as we drink this or eat this bread and drink this cup, that we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes We are about to proclaim through a visual means. We are about to see together the gospel on display so that our hearts, if we are in Christ, are even more ready to receive him when he returns. And for those who are not a part of Christ, who have not repented and believed, to be convicted, hopefully, in the work of the Spirit by our common testimony. So we're gonna proclaim as the people of God right now in partaking of the supper. Now let me make... A couple of declarations before we do this. As a reminder, this is for, this action of the church is for those who have trusted in Christ. It's hard to, to say that what the, what the supper wants to say, that we have been cleansed, bought by the body and blood of Jesus, and we have been completely satisfied in Christ. That's what the intention of the supper is. It's hard to say that if we have never acted upon that declaration in repentance and belief. And so if you're not a follower of Christ, if you've never given your life to Jesus, we would ask you to abstain. Do not partake in this moment, but rather watch the testimony of this church, the testimony of those who have repented and believed about the, the saving work of Christ and the satisfying work of Christ. And then for those who are in Christ, We want to make sure that this moment is a worthy testimony to what we are meant to proclaim. And so if there's anything in your life that is unrepented of, if there's anything in your life that would call into question the testimony that we're about to make as the church about the saving and satisfying work of Jesus, I want to give you a moment to repent of that. And if you can't truly repent of that, then I would also ask you to abstain so that you don't take the the supper in a way that's harmful to you or harmful to the witness of the church. So wherever we are, could we just bow our heads and just ask God to help us make sure that what we are about to proclaim is a faithful proclamation of the gospel. Father, search our hearts. You know us. You know us better than anyone else. Although there are things in my life, I know there are things in the life of people in this body that have not always communicated that you have saved and satisfied us, that you are uniquely good, and so we repent of those things now because we want this moment, this declaration to be done with a true conscience so that the watching world will know that our hope is only in the body and blood of Jesus and that nothing this world offers can satisfy us apart from Christ. Would you find this proclamation a faithful one, we pray, in the name of Jesus? Amen. Is there anyone who did not receive the elements in coming in this morning? If you could raise your hand, our deacons are ready to give those to you if you need them. A couple up here, Mark. Maybe some over here, too. And while they're passing them out, if you wanna go ahead and prepare, the wafer's kinda tricky. Anyone else? reading from 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writing to the Corinthian church about the supper. He says, I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, thank you, God, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord to death until he comes. And he is coming. Amen. Now, if you need to respond in any other kind of way, we want to offer you an opportunity to do that. We're going to have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We're going to sing together as a church. But if you need to speak with someone about repentance, if you want to make sure you're right before a holy and righteous God, if you want to pray for someone who you're begging the Lord would grab their heart and allow them to respond in repentance, we want to give you that opportunity right now. So let's stand together, church family. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website bayleaf.org.